Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Slipstream F1 podcast. Today, we're doing what we're calling a Formula 101 episode. And it's going to be a series that's going to be recurring. And basically, we're going to explain Formula 1 to all of our newbie friends who listen to our podcast because they care about us as individuals and want to support us. And we thank you immensely for that. So whether you're one of our friends or you just don't know a ton about Formula 1, this is the episode for you. Or if you know a lot about Formula 1, you could just listen anyway, get a refresher. This is true. Or We're just listen to point out things we do wrong. You, we, yes. Just DM us on Instagram. Just critique us the whole time. Yeah. Just all of your hate, DM us on Instagram. We would appreciate that too. Because we're not very good at this yet, but we're getting better. Your patience is appreciated. Anyway, so what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about, we're going to go through some news updates that Ian's going to bring for us um, in just a moment. And then then after that, we're going to talk about what is Formula One? What is the F1 World Championship? What is Formula One management? What is the FIA? And then we're going to talk about just kind of the format of it. What a race weekend looks like, um, how many teams, how many drivers, you know, what does the future of the sport maybe look like a little bit as well. So that's kind of what we're going to go through. Um, if that sounds good to everyone. Yep. Yes. Awesome. We definitely agreed to this beforehand, so I hope it sounds good to everyone. Yeah, we, we <laughs> talked about this. Um, so anyway, I just wanted some some verbal consent. Some affirmation. Affirmation, yes. Yeah. That would be lovely. Anyway, now on to news with Ian. No, you're good. So dear, first... Dear, 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 dear. Ian's news corner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so first, if the first news is that if we receive another comment asking where Daniel Ricardo. Uh, Ricardo. Ricardo. Um, he also has car in his name. Ricardo. <laughs> Just like Carlos Sainz. Um, Carlos Sainz or <laughs> Sergio Perez is in our most recent reel that blew up. I'm going to go kick someone's teeth in. Yeah, I'm going to commit an act of, of some sort of violence that I don't think this world has ever Actually, quite seen. It's okay. We were talking. It's literally the only reason that we've blown up is because we forgot those three drivers and people are having an absolute fit No, we didn't it. forget. There just weren't enough slots in the video. Yeah, they just didn't fit yeah. one of the other categories well, and so we took them out or didn't include them, but everyone is commenting now. But that doesn't fit the narrative. <laughs> right. Sorry, news. Actual news. Um, Ian's news corner. Have we talked about South Africa and Shanghai in the past? We oh. have not. We no. have not. So, recent news. Um, Kailami, a lovely little track that we have not raced at since 1993, was downgraded at one point to an FIA Class 2 circuit, mm-hmm. which means Formula 1 can't race there. It's not safe enough. It's not... It doesn't have facilities like grandstands that are large enough or um, proper, pit lanes that are wide enough, that kind of stuff. Yeah, proper pit lane, proper medical center. Mm-hmm. Um, but the owner, and it's actually, if you start plugging this all in, it's great. The owner is the CEO of South Africa Porsche. Wow. Of the track. Interesting. It's upgrading the track to be class one, and they hope to race there by the latest 2024. Um, Interesting. But on top of that, China is going to get a second race, but China also can't seem to get its COVID under control. And so if they don't have it under control by 2023, Kailami, if it's ready, the Kailami circuit will take their place mm-hmm. in 2023. So it's coming back to South Africa, which is good. Formula One's been critiqued. In Formula One's original constitution, bylaws, whatever you want to call it, it was said that we must race. We, I say we. I don't work Formula One. Formula One must race in all six major continents. Yeah. We have not raced in Africa for what will be 30 years. Yeah, and, and that's, that's the thing is, like, is it really a world championship if we're not hitting all the major continents? Obviously, Antarctica doesn't have a ton of people living there. It would be difficult, but... You know, it'll be interesting to see what this track is like. We haven't raced at it since the 90s. It's an older track, a lot more like, you know, Zandavoort or Imola. Um, 
kind of a not super wide track, which I don't know how that's going to play with the current cars, but it'll be interesting. I'd love to see it on the calendar again. Yeah, I mean, even since the 50s, when Formula One started, they've been racing in South America. They've been racing in Argentina, and that's mostly thanks to Juan Manuel Fangio. Mm-hmm. Um, and Brazil. And no, Bra- obviously. They've been, yeah, Interlagos has been there since the 60s. Um, and so, and they haven't raced much as Asia in, until probably the 70s, um, thanks to Japan. Japan loves Formula One. It's actually funny how much their people love Formula One. It's crazy. Um, not Australia for very long. But yeah, so that's exciting. Uh, now I just can't stop thinking about an Antarctican Grand Prix. I think that, that would just be, be so much fun. It would be beautiful. I, it makes no sense at all, but could you imagine? There would be no overheating issues for the car. <laughs> no. <laughs> They'd have to heat the track yeah. so that yeah. it didn't ice over. You can just go watch the video that Red Bull did where they drove it like through snow. Like they put they snow put tires snow on. They put snow tires? Snow chains and stuff? And race yeah, yeah. in them? They put it wets on and then put chains over the wets. That'd be awesome. You know, NASCAR went That'd gimmicky and put a bunch of dirt in Bristol. Wait for F1 to race literally on a glacier. <laughs> That'd be awesome. You slide off the side and you just go full penguin mode. <laughs> Bye-bye, Max. You've heard of porpoising. Now get ready for penguining. <laughs> but they don't come out of the water. Oh, no. That got dark. Okay, more news. The people do, just the cars don't. Ah. Crap, sorry, y'all. Okay, so Aston Martin, safety car. That's been in a lot of news this week. It's kind of uh-huh. stupid, but it's actually hilarious. Um, so they're calling the Aston Martin safety car the turtle. The drivers are. Yes, because it was going slowly. We talked about this a little bit in the last episode. It's okay. also green. It's also green, yes. But the FIA responded this week, basically saying that we don't care about your tires. Um, that you're Basically, how the race goes is only a secondary concern when it comes to the safety car, that the mm-hmm. safety of the marshals and the safety of the drivers that are getting out of the cars that are wrecked is the main concern. And so they're like, you know, it sucks. Sorry that your tires can't get warm, but that's not really the point of the safety car. Yeah, they, they basically said, oh, it's not this car is slower. It's we're telling the driver to go slower. Um, all the safety cars could do faster than we ever let them do. I don't know if I buy that. But yeah. but the thing is, like, it, it is important to understand, like, the safety car can't just go at a speed that allows them to warm up, keep their tires warm or whatever, because they have to bunch that pack up so that the, the drivers are only going past the marshals for maybe 20 seconds so that then they have, you know, a minute and a half to clear the track. They can't just continue going around the track at a 40% speed like the virtual safety car because that doesn't allow for enough of a gap to get machinery on the road, to run across the track, to grab debris, whatever it would be. So it, it needs to go slower at some times. Yeah, I mean, you could have the safety car push as well, but then you have the risk of the safety car crashing. And then yeah. <laughs> that would not be good. Looking like IndyCar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. With the Corvette crashing. Um, and also, too, technically the slower it goes, the more racing we're going to get as fans in the end. You get to save the laps because it yeah. Yeah, allows them to save the track. It is interesting, though, you know, the conversations about safety, slowing it down, you know, but if the tires get too cool, they're not going to have enough grip, and if they try to race too aggressively, then all of a sudden, you know, safety car restarts, and uh, you get a, a fresh new batch of turn one incidents. Yep. So that's just been kind of it this week. I mean, there's – let me see. I mean, that in terms of what happened with the safety car. Um, one other thing that we were talking about in our texting group chat, which is just – Outright hilarious in my mind. Your collie had submitted a <laughs> request, a refund request, to Haas for 14 United States dollars, or 14, not 14, 14 million. There we go. 14 million U.S. I dollars. Say, I'd give them 14 dollars. <laughs> 14 million U.S. dollars. What's your Venmo? And a refund request since they technically broke their contract with your collie and did not let Nikita Mazepin drive for their team in 2022. 
Well, Hass rejected it publicly and then turned around and asked your Akali for $8.1 million more. <laughs> for, quote unquote, lost profits. For lost profits for the fact that they had a Russian team associated with their name. It's hilarious. It's, it's like so such funny. a bad move. Yeah. Like, bad boy move. It's they just hilarious. don't even care anymore. I would honestly, it would not surprise me. I mean, it, it surprised me that they asked for that money back, your Akali. I would assume that there are clauses in these contracts, just like there was the clause in the contract with Russia for the Russian Grand Prix. Like, we can break this in the event of, like, a war. Where a ton of contracts have, like, clauses where you can be cut, like, football teams. If you do something that's, like, outright, like, if you get a DUI, you can be cut from your team. Your contract can be voided and everything because um, it, it breaks, you know, a morals clause or a, you, that sort of a clause. It would not surprise me if there were that in the contract. Yeah, there's always that, like, break glass in case of emergency type right. of situation just to protect a company's interests and assets and i i think your old Callie's probably thinking okay this this wasn't us but at the same time um it it affects everything and haas would be stupid to not do that because they obviously got to keep the money get a better driver and yeah. we've seen how that's worked for them i feel like it's just one of those legal things where it's like okay we're going to say what we would need to say legally you're going to say what you need to say legally and we'll move on also in the international um court of law, the way that everything's going to play out, Russia's basically just, you know, they have no power behind them anymore just because no one cares because of geopolitical reasons. So they don't really have a chance unless Haas was like, oh, yes, please take $13 million, which they're never going to do. Right. And it's like, even if they wanted to transfer it back to Urukali, like, how would they do it? The sanctions keep Urukali money from, like, going anywhere. Yeah. That was a big thing, too, is when the, oh, um, Urukali originally asked for this money, um, there was questions because the money is technically in the United States. It is Gene Haas that owns this team. He has the money. Um, we They can't get the money either because all major Russian banks have been sanctioned by the United States. So they can't even get this money yeah, to Yeah, by them. the whole international community. Like Russia doesn't even really have access to SWIFT anymore, which is an international banking system which allows banks to talk to each other. So like Russian banks couldn't even get the money for Urukali. So it's it's kind of a lost cause for them until... Either this war gets sorted out or Russia doesn't exist anymore. Um, you know, it's kind of game over. So, yeah, there we go. That's main three stuff. There's another, some other stuff like Monaco. You know, their long term is in jeopardy. Um, yeah. It won't go away, though. It won't so go away. My, my thing is, like, if we're going to keep adding these tracks like South Africa, like the three American races and all that kind of stuff, are we going to, like, see some of these really good circuits go away? I hope not. I think what we need to do is we need to establish, okay, here are races that happen every year, you know, six races that happen every year, and for the other 17 races or whatever it would be, just rotate through a pool of, a pool of you know, 25 tracks. Yeah, I even heard Monaco discussed as one of those every other year type tracks. If, if it is an every other year type track, I don't think we'll see it more than once again, because if we have a break from it and then we go back, we're just going to remember how awful this is, except for qualifying, and never <laughs> want to come back. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I think, though, it just has such good imagery yeah, I think that Formula One. I, I think I think Formula One wants to keep it the whole year because everyone knows about the Monaco Grand Prix. Even if they don't know the name of it, they see it on TV and they're like, "Ooh, I know what this is." What this probably is is Liberty Media calling Monaco's bluff, basically saying you think you're too important and you're getting way too much money out of this deal. Their contract is way more lucrative than anyone else because for the longest time, the Monaco Grand Prix and the people in charge basically were living under the opinion, "Y'all need us." So we're going to get the best part of this deal that we can. I think they even have separate 
TV licensing rights. I don't think it is through the rest of the F1 contracts. I think they have it separate, which is incredibly lucrative. So they're yeah. just... And not only that, but they also control the broadcast. That's why, you know, you had the Lance Stroll incident in the middle of Vettel overtaking Gasly or whatever it was. They, they're just bad at directing. Yeah, so they're, they've strong-armed for the longest time, and finally the F1 ownership has said, hey, y'all don't get to do this anymore. They're sort of calling the bluff, and they're saying, we're willing to go on without you. We think we have enough to where we can. And with how much new viewership has come recently, I... They might be right. I would hate to see them call their bluff and we lose Monaco, but it's a possibility. I think that's probably all that's happening, though. It's mm-hmm. just a game of chess over billions of dollars. You know, nothing <laughs> new. <laughs> but no, that's about it, news-wise. Ian's news corner. One last thing is the uh, Italian cart. Or, well, he's Russian, but he's racing under the Italian uh, flag. Pillock, yeah. He won a... Uh, he won a karting race and on the podium did the Nazi salute and has now like had his license suspended, dropped from his team, all that kind of stuff. And then released one of those teary eyed um, videos basically saying, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know, yada, yada, yada. Yeah, I've seen a bunch of heavy breathers on. Uh, actually, that's not the right word. I think in England that means like a pervert. Um, <laughs> wow. <laughs> nice. <laughs> sorry, um, British audience. No, I've seen some comments though that are like oh he's just he was waving to his friends it wasn't even a nazi salute y'all are just too looking into it snowflakes blah blah blah. what i really think it is he's a 15 year old kid who thought it would be funny and realized he really just messed up yeah anyway i don't want to get into politics of it all but yeah that happened that happened as well all right on to the f101 segment yeah so i guess we can start off with what is what is formula one anyone want to answer that Watching 20 cars go in a circle and either watching this year Charles Leclerc or Max Verstappen win the race. I'm just kidding. That's a terrible yeah. that's a joke. But, like, it is, I guess, the, the pure essence of it, 20 cars going in a circle. It's, it's viewed by most in the international community as the pinnacle of motorsport. It, why, why is that? It has really a mixture of incredibly rich history um, you know, good racing. They go incredibly fast. It It is the height of engineering in a lot of ways. Yeah, people are spending millions upon millions of dollars to build one car. Yeah, tens of millions of dollars. But before the cost cap, which we'll talk about in another episode, some of these teams, the yearly budgets were four to $500 million a year. That's how much they were spending to make these operations go. Each of these teams employs hundreds, if not a few thousand people, you know, a couple thousand, just to make two cars that go around on these tracks. The design iterations and considerations on these F1 cars are infinitely more than the upgrades between your 2020 and 2021 Ford Focus. Actually, they don't didn't make Ford Focus in those years. I don't know why I chose that car. Yeah, that but like, even, <laughs> even when you have a whole new generation of like the, the Volkswagen Golf, when it goes to the Mark 7 instead of the Mark 6, that's a big upgrade. But literally from one race to another, the amount of engineering and effort that goes into producing that one upgrade to the one half of the diffuser could just be like many, many, many more human hours of engineering. Just yeah. has, they just have so much freedom on their cars too. Like a lot of other racing 
things like NASCAR, IndyCar, for example, mm -hmm. a lot of the components are stock, and they have very minimal things they can change on the car. Yeah. Like, the cars are mostly the same. F1 is very different. Like, you'll see cars that look, at least this year, that look very different, like a lot of the components, so... If you're new to Formula One and you're coming from other motorsports, it's going to shock you how these some people just purely by the car that they're in can't compete. Mm -hmm. But that's one of the things that may initially seem like a drawback of F1 actually is one of the things that separates it. Yeah, and that, that's the thing. Like You have a NASCAR. Yeah, there are some teams that are better and some teams that are worse because of the team infrastructure they have, the ability to look at data, the ability to even do small changes to the car and understand how it's working. Um, but at the end of the day, in IndyCar, in NASCAR, they all pretty much have a very similar car. The engines can be different, and that can make a huge difference for them. But in in Formula One, it is from the ground up. The the stock parts that they all share are like the tires, um, what's called the side impact structure, which is literally like this cone that sits in that you attach to the monocoque that you build, and that the halo, which is like the head protection thing. But yeah, they're open wheel racing race cars, so they don't have like they don't look like a regular car that you'd see on the street. They look kind of more like a go kart or like an indie car, um, and they don't have any sort of windshield. They don't have any sort of like closed doors that open and close. They hop out of the top of it and and they they're exposed to the wind and all of that kind of stuff. It's people going 200 miles an hour in a tube with four rubber wheels. Mm -hmm. And they are at the peak of physical condition they can be. Yeah. They have some of the best reaction times of any humans on the planet. And they have to make split-second decision, split decisions that will affect them and other people's lives in some cases. Yeah. And, and why do we know that it's the pinnacle of motorsport on top of that from a driving perspective? Well, because you see people who go to Formula One who are really promising and then don't do well thrive in other places. But you've never seen someone go to IndyCar, fail in IndyCar, and then come to Formula One and succeed. Or go to uh, WEC and fail in WEC and then go to Formula One and just be the best driver ever. It doesn't happen that way. That's the World Endurance Championship. Yeah, another form of racing. 24-hour type races. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I mean, they joke about it's overpriced coffins. It's a dangerous sport when it comes down to it. I mean, you might have seen last year, or sorry, year actually, two years ago now, um, Roman Grosjean's crash. It was a big fiery wreck. Um, there was a death, not in Formula One, but Formula Two, which we can talk about in a little bit. The other types yeah. of formulas. Um, there was a death in 2019. There was a death in Formula One in 2012. Um, you know, it's a pretty dangerous sport, and if they're not killed, they can get concussions. They can get broken bones. Um, the death in Formula One was 2014. Sorry. Yeah, it yeah. was 2014. My bad. Um, and so yeah, so it's. It's a dangerous sport. It's fast-paced. I mean, it's amazing to watch in the fact that these cars, stock car, the reason why people see stock cars so boring is it's more of a wave movement. That's why it's great that there's you know multiple first-place changes per lap in a stock car race, but it's kind of just they move as a wave, and it's a single-file line or multiple single-file lines, where Formula mm -hmm. One... They're all over the track. They, you, you see the camera angles, and they're dan they're literally dancing across this track. They're going through corners that, like, you know, if you're th sitting and thinking about it in a normal car, you'd almost have to stop before you could turn that corner. And they're sitting there going through those corners at 80, 90 miles an hour. Um, and so, and 
the overtaking throughout the race, it's competitive. It's not, like I said, it's not a wave movement. Of this car just seems to, you know, slightly get its nose ahead, but then it comes out of the turn and it's not ahead. I mean, these cars are like throwing themselves in front of the other car, hoping that the other car will make a little bit of room for it and give it some space. I think that the other thing that makes it unique compared to, especially NASCAR, which is probably the most popular other one, at least in America, um, is that they race entirely on non-ovals, right? NASCAR does most of their races on ovals, so they're just turning left and left and left and left. And that's really interesting, and it has its own unique set of challenges. But Formula One races on these tracks that can be 17 turns, 21 turns. You know, there's one that's 27 turns, um, left and right in different ways, and they'll have a long straight, and then they'll have a section where they're breaking from you know, 200 miles an hour down to 60 to make a really sharp turn all of a sudden, and then they go through a little curvy section, and then they, you know, so it's it's a lot more, a lot less um, monotonous and, you know, repetitive through a lap than NASCAR is. And I know NASCAR, if, again, this is more appealing to our American fans, you know, there's Fontana versus Daytona versus Talladega, each, each, oval track is going to have its different types of yeah. atmosphere to it. They're bigger or smaller. But each track, when it comes to Formula One, I mean, they're just so drastically different. You yeah. talk about Monaco's we were talking about earlier. It's a circuit that's got like 15 feet between each wall. Yeah, it's so skinny. Then there's Spa-Francorchamps in Belgium, which has a straight that's almost 50 feet. Not, wide. It's actually not 50. It's like 30 feet wide. Yeah, but, but then there's grass get, on each side. And you can get, you know, four cars abreast in that on that straight if you wanted to. Whereas in Monaco, you can barely get two cars next to each other. And then Australia, there's a one minute twenty second lap time in Australia where in Belgium it's a two minute ten. Yeah, because it's time so long. Because it's just so different. And so um of course the pit stops too. Everyone loves the pit stops in Formula One. Yeah. It's kind of its iconic thing too. If you haven't even if you've never even watched a Formula One race, maybe we looked into it. You know what a Formula One pit stop is like. And we're going to do a whole um, episode on, like, terminology, and we're going to talk about pit stops and some things like that in there. But let's talk about the FIA and FOM, Formula One management, what those two things are. Communist. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> the, the FIA is the Federation International Automotive, but in French. Um, it's a very nice French word. Automobile. <laughs> yeah. International. Yeah. They're the French. Um, they're the they're owned... They've owned Formula One. They are owned by a different group. Um, I can't remember what they're called. FIA is independent. FIA? Yes, FIA is an independent organization. Think of FIA like FIFA, and then you have different leagues underneath FIFA. So, like, Major League Soccer is a league underneath FIFA. So the FIA also is the sanctioning body. They're, like, the one that makes up the rules, the one that determines um, safety requirements some things like that. They work very closely with Formula One management, but they are an independent entity. Um, it's like FIFA is, and you know, there's a bunch of different leagues under it. And so maybe FIFA, the Formula One of FIFA would be Premier League, if that makes sense. I'm trying to think. Yeah, because they, that's right, Liberty Media, who owns Formula One. Yes. Also owns the Atlanta Braves for our lovely Georgia yeah. fans. Um, but no, so FIA is the governing body. They're the ones that make sure that, will basically make sure that one, that races continue out. Um, yeah, it's it's basically a governing body who regulates, who creates safety rules, um, creates just general rules for the race, and then who 
who oversees it to make sure it happens properly. Make sure it's a credible, basically, also to you. Make sure they're credible. They Because FIA mm. governs all sorts of racing. They govern Formula 2. They do world endurance racing. They make sure that this is a credible form of racing mm. and not I mean, another kind of garbage. Kind of. But we can talk about that in a whole that's one of their. That's one of their suggested missions. <laughs> yes. That's a good way to put it. And then uh, Formula One management. Steven, you want to take that? Yeah, so Formula One management. Um, it's Liberty Media. Yeah, Liberty Media. They're the, uh, like like Ian said, they own the Atlanta Braves. Um, they've only somewhat recently acquired. Yeah, I think it was 2017 was when the deal was finalized, um, you know, fully taking over in 2018. It was owned by one dude before that, which is wild to think about. Um but yeah, they're in a big investment company, basically. Yeah, and you, you've seen a lot of changes that the d- direction of a large investment firm can bring. Um, they've changed the direction of which tracks are going at. You know, that's why we're talking about they're finally calling Monaco's bluff. You're seeing a lot of investment in new regions. You're seeing that second race in China. You're seeing extra races in the U.S. Netflix. Netflix. They're all clear steps to try to expand Formula One because... Um, there's a much more intentional step to really broaden the appeal of Formula One. That's also why you've seen the regulation changes in terms of trying to get more close racing. Mm-hmm. All these steps are taken by Formula One management in order to really just improve the quality, quality and marketability of the sport as a whole. Yeah. I think that kind of sums it up there. Basically, they just own Formula One, the rights and all that, and they just... They negotiate the deals, yeah. the TV contracts. Like when you go to watch, you know, Formula One on a given day and you're watching it on ESPN, that's because Liberty Media did the negotiations with the mm-hmm. track. They did the negotiations with ESPN and said, okay, we will, you know, this deal is worth this much money and this is how we're going to do it. We need this time. All that is run through them. All the logistics. I think ESPN actually has a deal with Sky Sports. That's why they get to use it. Well, that's the feed that they use, but it's through Formula One management because they're renegotiating right now. Yeah. So, anyway, but yeah, what what else would would there be with Formula One? Like, what else do we want to talk about? Do we want to talk about race weekends and kind of the format of that? Yeah. Yeah, I'd say let's go through a general race weekend, and we'll go into some of the, you know, sort of unique dynamics, especially that we get with Imola this weekend. Yeah. So race weekends generally last Thursday through Sunday. Um, there's no active racing happening on Thursday, but teams teams will get there on Tuesday, Wednesday to start unloading. And, I mean, it's crazy the, you know, hospitality suites that they'll set up in some of these races that are literally these massive, like, motorhomes that when they're put together, they don't even look like motorhomes. They just look like small buildings. Um, or, you know, three-story buildings that have office spaces, that have, like, bedroom and offices, that kind of stuff in them, whole kitchens, all of that. But they get there early, and then Thursday is kind of, you know, when the drivers arrive, sometimes Wednesday, they'll walk around the track, kind of get a feel for it if they haven't. Not all of them do that. You know, the more veteran ones usually don't. Younger ones do. Um, and then they have press conferences. Not on Thursdays anymore. That changed this year. Is that not on Thursdays? They do it on Fridays now. Really? Yep. They changed that this Friday, year. Friday, Friday. I completely missed that. <laughs> yep, that's a change they did this year. They do them on Fridays now. Um, I thought that was only some of them that they did on Fridays. It's wow. Be all of them. Um, <laughs> you learn something new every day. But yeah, the drivers or the teams, I mean, get there. 
the trucks start to arrive Tuesday, and the teams are not allowed to start setting up until every single box has been unloaded, whether it be from a plane, a boat, or semi-truck. There are sometimes exceptions to that if, you know, one specific load is running late. They'll make an exception so they can actually, you know, race during a weekend, but very rarely does that happen. Yeah, very rarely. That happened one time last year, and it's because there was, like, a storm that held up one of the boats. Um, There's this excellent channel called Windover Media Productions on YouTube, and there's a video. It's called The Logistics of Formula One. It's about 20 minutes long. You should watch it. It's incredible. Yeah, DHL is their main shipping company. Um, Not a big thing in USA, but actually it's, like, it's like the FedEx of yeah, it's Europe. Yeah, like the UPS of everywhere else in the world, basically. And so, um, so yeah, so then Friday, they um, they start getting in the car. They'll do free practice one, free practice two, and it's just fully practice sessions, feeling out the track. Free practice two is the most important one, I think, of the two because um, it's what qualifying conditions and race conditions will most mm-hmm. be like. Because they have a later morning in the ses- session and an afternoon session, sometimes a you know early afternoon and evening session. Um, and the races and qualifying are in that second session of the day or in that time slot. So free practice, too. They, they get there for free practice one, and they can test some of the aerodynamic and other changes that they've made. But free practice two is where they'll, they'll do some a little closer to race simulations. They can figure out, you know, with the track temperatures, you know, yeah, how the car how is going to respond. Rules. So that's, that's where they can get some of their most valuable information um, and then set up for their high-speed run in qualifying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I've heard someone say in the past, if you wanted to know how a race is going to end up, just watch FP2, because um, it's, it's yeah. going to be the most similar to how the cars are genuinely going to perform during qualifying and during the race, um, whether it be a night race or an evening race. Um, they make sure that FP2 is done as close as possible to um, the race time. But then in between free practice, or I'm sorry, in the morning, they do the press conferences and they do free practice once. So they do the press conferences Friday mornings now, Um the drivers will sit there together, and sometimes it provides good comedy. Um, yeah. Drivers picking at each other. Um, For context, that's like if, you know, right before a big football game, you had the quarterbacks for both teams getting interviewed at the same time in the same room. It's a really unique thing in sports that you don't get to often see. Yeah, it's like if you had had, you know, Stetson Bennett and Bryce Young sit down two days before the national championship and just start talking and on top of that, they also do the team principles. Um, so if we're going back to a football reference for us Southern folk in the United States, that'd be like Kirby Smart and Nick Saban sit down together, except they're younger and have more of a personality other than football. Which they kind of do that already in America. The coaches do more of that kind of stuff, but still, it, it's a much different dynamic. They're also sometimes a little more mature than the F1 team principles. This is true. <laughs> the F1 team principles like to argue. Like to argue, and the drivers like to make jokes that sometimes can't even put be put on social media or television because they're a little crude but they're Slightly. good fun when they come out Daniel Ricardo. The, <laughs> they probably have to hire at least an extra one or two people at formula one to just deal with the bleeping out of words yeah <laughs> just the amount of media training that these drivers need is absurd and they just don't listen to any of it no. <laughs> Lando, ever since his his media lady has left to be like the head media person at w series he has just gone off the rails. It's so funny to yeah, watch. If you, if you can be the media person for Lando, you can do anything with me. <laughs> he, he said, like, he said he joked around that Pierre Gasly had COVID. He said, like, all sorts of crazy. He said that their team's not going to win a single race, like, all sorts of stuff like that. So that's Fridays. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Saturday um, is the first. FP3. Yeah, they do FP3 in the morning um, or what can be the afternoon. Um, but then in the 
the second session of the day, they do quali- qualifying. Which, oh, we got to, okay, sorry. I just remembered we have to talk about the difference between sprint race. Sprint yeah, race. Let's, we'll go about about let's, let's go through a default. We're going through default first. This yep. is a normal weekend. This happens at at least almost all of the races. This is how it always used to be. Yep. So a qualifying. Quali, as of right now, it can change at some point. Um, the main qualifying right now is a first qualifying session, which lasts 20 minutes ish, usually 18 minutes. Actually, I think it's the real time. But then. Yeah. They say they go out there, try and set the fastest lap, slowest all twenty cars, all twenty cars. Yep, and then the slowest five drivers after that eighteen minutes are cut out, um, and then they do qualifying two, which is I think a little shorter time. It's like it's fifteen, like fourteen minutes, 12, 15 minutes. Yeah. Um, same thing. Slowest five drivers at the end of that are kicked out, and then from there they do Q three, which is the shortest one. It's like ten minutes, yeah. and it's an absolute shootout. Just the, as fast as you can drive. Fast as you can go, and whoever gets the fastest is on pole position, which means they're in first place to start the race. Yeah. Which is very big for Formula One because it's gotten a little bit easier, but de- especially depending on the track, some tracks are very hard to pass on. So getting getting pole position can be extremely helpful in a race. Yeah, Monaco is one of those tracks that it's so difficult to pass on unless your car is just genuinely two or three seconds a lap faster. It's It's so difficult to pass. Fun fact, Charles Leclerc has only won races while on pole. This is true. This is true, yeah. And, I mean, Monaco was huge. I think 2018 was the last race that it was a big deal that Daniel got pole. Daniel Ricciardo, one of Uh a fan favorite. Um, He got pole position and, I think, lost seventh and eighth gear. He only was able to get up to sixth gear, and he still won the race because, because he started in first the second-place driver got behind him and genuinely just couldn't pass yeah. him. And so um, it's a big deal at some races, not as big as a deal in other places, but overall still a big deal. And as Lando said last year, Lando Norris being a younger driver has only been on pole position one time. You are able to walk away from that day knowing you were the fastest man out yeah. there. And that's a big deal for a driver's confidence, for a team's confidence. And then Sunday is race day. Um, nothing much. Nothing in the morning happens. Um, drivers should get ready for the race. Do a little They'll do press. some press engagements. They'll talk to fans, that kind of stuff. Yeah, but I'll say throughout the whole weekend, they're talking with fans. Fans are able to walk around the paddock um, if you have a deep wallet. <laughs> if you're uh, very, very rich or you are, like, personal friends with one of the drivers or famous. Yep. Or And then the race happens. Um, race is 300 kilometers. Um, I can't tell you what that is in miles, but it it's something. Matter. It's probably <laughs> more than three miles, if I were to guess. It's... 200 it, something? I would go with probably over four miles. 180? 180 yeah, miles? <laughs> Nathan's trying to figure it out. Well, <laughs> yeah, it's a little like. Because I'm trying to think. A kilometer is five eighths of a mile. A kilometer is five eighths of a mile. Yeah, so, so it would be a, about 180 miles. That's the minimum race distance. So once it hits that, the lap that it hits that on is the last lap. It's going to be the last lap. Um, and these tracks vary in length. There are some, like we said, that are like a mile and a half long, it feels like, and some that are like six. Yep, in 2020, we had a race that was 87, and then there's Spa, which is the longest track on the calendar, um, that has 46, I believe, every year. Um, And so, yeah, so then they finish the race up, do some press conferences after, um, whether they had a good day, bad day, and head to the next race from there, or sometimes we have weekends off. Yeah, such as this weekend. We we just had a weekend off. We posted a little meme just saying how sad we were that there wasn't racing. And then boo to Instagram who cropped it oh so poorly. Yeah, Instagram sucks. 
But you should you. follow our Instagram. Yeah, we have <laughs> 205 followers. We are so grateful for every single one of you. All, all of you. And including probably the 20 of you who just misclicked on our reel. You're <laughs> our, especially our favorites. Yeah. No, last episode, like a week ago when we recorded, we had just passed 100 followers. So to have just that much engagement in a week, we're at, I mean, we were probably at maybe 5,000 likes last week, and we now have 16,000 almost. It's, it's really, truly surreal. Wacky. Thanks. But yeah. So should we talk about sprint races now? You know, I guess we can. There okay. are, yeah. Do you want to handle that, Stephen? Yeah. So this week is a completely different format. So everything you just heard, get rid of it. Um, <laughs> Toss it out the window. Yeah. So for a couple races each year, originally it was going to be six this year, right? And they knocked it down to three. Is that correct? They were looking at expanding it, but it seemed like people didn't necessarily want them to. Yeah, um, so on a sprint race like this weekend, um, free practice one happens, and then you immediately go into a qualifying session. So, and that qualifying session sets the sprint race order. And there's another free practice in between qualifying and the sprint race. Um, but essentially the sprint race acts as a second qualifying. You have your initial qualifying set order, and the sprint race takes that order jumbles it around a little bit. It's only a few laps, and then the order they end in is, for the most part, how they start the race. Correct me if I'm wrong. The top actual qualifier still starts on pole no matter what, right? Nope. There is a pole gimmick, though. They still get it counted as pole? Yeah, so last year, whoever won the race on Saturday was gifted pole, the title of pole. Um, Fans hated that. Yeah, that's right. That's what it was. They changed it this year, and then the top eight of the sprint race get a few extra points for their efforts. So P1, position one in the sprint race, gets eight points, and then P2, seven, all the way down until there's no points left. Which are not not nearly the same amount of points as you get for a race weekend, but it's a big bonus. If you can qualify well, win the sprint race, and win the race with fastest lap, you can rack up a ton of points. Yeah. This is 100% true. There's no points for qualifying, but for the sprint race, there is points, which is which is really just a new thing added in and can make a huge difference because this past year, going into the finale, they were tied on points. And so, yeah, I mean, and Max Verstappen won by, what, seven, seven points? Seven points. So if Lewis had won every sprint race last year and crashed Max out in the process, he <laughs> could have won the championship. Or if he had just won <laughs> like that one easy. of this year's sprint races in addition to the points he had, he would have won. Oh, this year, yeah. yeah. But it changed this year a little bit. Um, sprint races, if you think about it in the end, is really just a tiny race. They red flag it for 24 hours, and they start all over again. But yeah. they award points in the process. So if you're a NASCAR fan, they do a similar thing at Daytona. They'll do, like, little, like, they, I think they call they call them something silly. But sta- the stages? Stages? No, they, they've, or at least maybe, they used to do this, where they'd have a mini race before the race to set order. I don't know if they do it this way anymore, but... That is, at least when I was watching in middle school, is how they did it. So if you're familiar with that small era of NASCAR, which is probably not a lot of people, then you know what I'm talking about. And for the rest of you, I'm sorry I had to put you through that. Yeah. So now that we talked about points in sprint races, let's talk about points in uh, the race. Brandon, do you want to take that? Yeah, I can get it. What is it? So for the race, a race win is what, 25 25 points? 25 points. And then second is... Eighteen. Eighteen. Yeah, and third is like fifteen. Fourth is twelve. Fifth is ten, and it just kind of goes down all the way through tenth place. 
Uh, 10th place gets one point. 9th place gets two points. 8th place gets four. four. So unless you finish in the top half of the field, you don't get any points. Right. Which, speaking of the top half of the field, how many drivers, how many cars, and how many teams are there? There are 10 teams, each of whom have two cars and two drivers who will race the majority of the year unless something you know, happens and they can't race a la Austin Martin. Um, so you've Sebastian got... Sebastian Vettel got COVID. Sebastian Vettel got co- COVID, so a driver who'd raced several years ago raced for them. Um, so you've got 10 teams, 20 drivers, and only 10 of those any given week are going to get points. Yeah, and so sometimes, you know, there will be 13 finishers because seven people either crashed or their engine just stopped working or something like that. And so a greater proportion of the field will get points. But, you know, oftentimes... 17, 18 people finish a race, and so there would just be a lot of people who do not get points. You also get one point for fastest lap. I don't know if we've said that. One point for fastest lap if you're within... If you're in the top 10. Yeah, yeah. So Alonzo, last race, actually would have... For about five seconds, he had the fastest lap, but he was in 17th, so it wouldn't have counted. Yeah, and it would have taken the point away, though, from the person in front. And sometimes teams use this to their advantage to keep, you know, maybe their rival from getting that point. They'll have their second driver, you know, pit, get some softer, brand-new tires, and go for a lap, even if they won't score any other points. Or, like, say you're a front-runner, and maybe you hit, or, you like, you clip somebody and lost your front ring, so you're out of the race, but you still can go for the fastest lap to take that point away. So it's an interesting bit of strategy just to watch. Um, So, yeah, fastest lap gets you points. Um, So points count for two things. Yes. counts for your individual driver championship ranking, but also counts for your team ranking. It's a big element in Formula One is the constructors' championship. So each team, they're battling against other teams. Yeah. And so right now Ferrari is in the lead. So when we talk about teams, they're battling each other. And then within each of those teams, you've got drivers. Who are so you, also battling all the other drivers, but also their Including their teammates, which yeah. creates a really interesting dynamic of drivers wanting to get more points for themselves, but also realizing that fighting against your teammate hurts the team, but helps you. And I think we'll probably do another F101 episode kind of about that, you know, where we talk about some examples of that. Like in 2016, Nico Rosberg and Lewis Hamilton had a really legendary battle. Um, There have been some in the past, Alonzo and Hamilton in 2007, and and things like that that we could talk about. Yeah, so... Right now, the 10 teams, we talk, we've talked about them briefly, but Ferrari is in the lead. They have... Very good this year. They look incredible. They have a just complete rocket engine. Yeah. Um, their acceleration is really unmatched. Hopefully it's legal this time around. Yeah, we can talk about that in another F101 episode, too. <laughs> Scandals. So Ferrari has Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz. Yeah, and we'll do more in-depth about these teams. Yeah, we're just running through through. teams, names. Mercedes has Lewis Hamilton, seven-time champion, and George Russell, Mr. Saturday himself. Up-and-comer. Mr. Saturday stands for? He qualifies. He qualifies very well in a car that he used to drive, which was very bad. He would just qualify way faster than he should have. And now he's in an above-average car and qualifies sort of most of the time worse than Lewis Hamilton, but occasionally. Middling. Yeah. He's doing all right. Uh, Red Bull, they have Max Verstappen, your reigning champion, and Checo. Sergio Perez. Uh, Often goes by Checo. He does. It's a fun little nickname. 
uh, McLaren. You have Daniel Ricardo. We didn't forget about him. We, and we Lando Norris. We know Daniel Ricardo exists. He does exist. We've got a couple of McLaren fanboys. He's on Australian. The pod. Um, and Lando Norris is British. Yeah. Uh, Alpine. They have Fernando Alonso, a two-time champion, although in a uh, many years ago. He's still very good, though. He is still one of the best drivers on the grid, and Far Nathan likes to say that because of his teammate, Esteban Ocon, who Nathan hates. Terrible. <laughs> Alfa Romeo. Alfa Romeo is a team. Yeah, they are actually <laughs> not Italian like the car brand, but they are based in Switzerland? Switzerland. Something yep. like Switzerland. that. Switzerland. They're the most forgettable team on the grid, unfortunately. It's but they true. have Valtteri Bottas. They have Joe Guanyu. He's a rookie. Chinese. First Chinese driver ever in Formula One. Full He's doing time, really well. Full-time F1. Yes, okay. Chinese F1 driver. He's doing very well. So good for Alfa Romeo. Haas, the American team. Woo! They have Kevin Magnussen, who is... The best just driver to ever step on the Formula One grid. Also yes, gorgeous. there's no one, no one better. He's like a Viking but also a race car driver. He and Charles Leclerc are the two best-looking drivers on the grid. He's like if you went back in time, grabbed a Viking. That may have been what happened. And also Mick Schumacher, son of legend, Michael Schumacher. Michael Schumacher, seven-time also world champion. But his son is the one driving for Haas. Yes. Um, AlphaTari, Red Bull's sort of junior-slash-sister team. It, it was purchased by Red Bull, the drink company to be a a partner, a, a farm team, basically, for young talent to drive at. Yeah, and they have Pierre Gasly. Pierre Gasly. Who is a really great driver. And Yuki Tsunoda, who is a very entertaining driver. Indeed. That sounded like a shot, and maybe it was. You can read into that as you will. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we'll do a whole episode about him at the end of the episode, at the end of the season, and his future. A goodbye. Yuki episode. <laughs> Yikes. Um, <laughs> Williams. They have Alex Albon, former Red Bull driver, then former not F1 driver. And, and now F1 driver again. Um, and they also have Nicholas Latifi. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't say his name without laughing. <laughs> he's he's not good. He's, he's on his not. he's on his way out. Nope. Yeah. He likes N- Nutella, and that's about all I know about him. He's Canadian and likes Nutella. He also likes hitting Crashing. the wall. And the other driver. And, and his other fellow Canadian. <laughs> our fellow Canadian who drives for the next team, Aston Martin. Uh, Lance Strolovich, or Lance Stroll, <laughs> as he's more commonly known. <laughs> yeah, his actual name is Lancelot Strolovich. It, it no, okay, Lancelot, I don't think is actually the case. Okay, but no. it's Lance It is Lance Strolovich. He goes by Lance Stroll Which, no, we're for just, obvious reasons. We're going to go by Strolovich for the rest of the time of this podcast. So I've been doing that for weeks. It's so much it. more fun. Yeah. We're never going back. We're never call- it is more yeah. fun to say. Um, just one L and a U and a, <laughs> I'm not, <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm going to try and spell that. Sebastian Vettel. Very good. Four He's time. Four time world champion with Red Bull back in the early 2010s. Also on his way out the door. Yeah, probably. He's getting old. It's okay. Nothing well, against him. He's the, just getting the old. The car is trash. You saw last year, he was able to pull that car to two podiums. Mind you, two. When that car had no business doing that. They're the only team without points. I understand their car yeah. this year is terrible. I'm telling you, if you gave him a drive, he, the inner fin- like he would look like Fernando Alonso does. Uh, I'll be interested to see how he does though, because he's he missed the first few races and yeah. now he's back. Last good. race was kind of a bad weekend, but I think the only way that Sebastian Vettel stays in Formula One is if Austin Martin tanks so bad that Audi has to step in and buy it. That That'd would be, be so bad. Yeah. That's not going to happen. Papa Stroll, who Papa Strolovich. 
just Lawrence Shulovich, <laughs> who is you know paying for his son Lance to drive in Formula One, literally bought his son a Formula One team, is paying too much money for that to happen. You know, in Willy Wonka, you've got the kid who's like, Papa, I want a golden goose. You know, um, that's just that's Lance Strolovich. I want a Formula One car, Daddy. And <laughs> his dad gives them to him, and then he wrecks them, and then he gives him a new one, and then he wrecks it. Mm-hmm. Um, he gets a pole position once because they literally made a photocopy of the Mercedes car, but that's a whole nother episode. Yeah, um, but Seb, you, Sebastian, they nicknamed Seb. Seb used to be really good, um, especially 2010 through 2013. It was his four-in-a-row world championships. At one point, he won nine races in a row, which is a record that is yet to be beaten and probably won't be for quite a while. Um, newer kids around the block, that uh, technically includes us, but newer people watching Formula One don't see the merit to them, um, which is kind of silly. And honestly, they don't know what they're talking about as much as when Lawrence Strolovich said his son got into Formula One based on merit. Um, this is a genuine thing that came out of his mouth. Um, so no, he used to be really good. He just has been unfortunate over the last few years with unluck, unluckiness. That's a word. Um, garbage cars, garbage luck, um, FIA, brown nosing Lewis Hamilton. Um, and yeah. Sorry if you're a Lewis Hamilton fan and got offended by that. Canada 2018, I think is my reference yeah i i still believe personally that seb still has it you give him you put him in that ferrari this year and he is challenging for wins every race i also agree he's a great driver on what looks like the worst team this year but then on top of that every one of these teams has reserve drivers as we talked about um Aston Martin's being Nico Hulkenberg, who replaced Sebastian when he had COVID. Um, Alpine has Oscar Piastri, who get used to that name because we're probably going to start seeing him in Formula One soon. Um, I'd expect he gets a seat next year. He probably should have gotten one this year. It won't be with Alpine. They said they're going to load him out to a team next year. Probably, unless they also come to the realization that Esteban Ocon is awful and just decide to give him the boost. Esteban Ocon... (laughs) (laughs) It's funny because we say all this, but he's also one of the one of the four drivers that has scored points every race this season. Well, because because his car, and I'm gonna go Tim Foyle hat here for a minute. This might not be the right time or place to do this. He is French. You know what else is French? Alpine. You know who isn't French? His teammate Fernando Alonso. You know what Fernando Alonso has had issues with? Reliability and his engine. He has DNF'd at what two races? One? I don't remember. Too many. Um, it was a. $1.50 part that caused him issues either last weekend or the weekend before. Um, they are making Fernando Alonso look bad because they need a Frenchman in the seat and they have paid Fernando or Esteban Ocon way too much money. So they're sabotaging Fernando so that Esteban can look good so that <laughs> this, which is literally a publicly funded company in France, doesn't look terrible. Anyway, we'll dive deep in another Formula 101 episode onto that. Everything he just said is just not true. You're wrong. It's all true. All of it. He just fully made... You just made it up. Source, (laughs) I made it up. Source, trust me, bro. I read it on a piece of paper. I wrote it down, and then I read it. (laughs) Look at the data. Just look at it. Has Fernando Alonso... The data is just, I typed it out on an Excel sheet. Esteban hasn't had a single (laughs) issue this year. He has had no reliability issues. 
Yeah, it's like if you flip a coin three times, maybe it lands on tails twice. Whoops. It's going to be really funny next race weekend when Esteban Akon's engine pulls out the script and goes, (laughs) (laughs) Cowabunga, boom. (laughs) Alonzo's going to win a race in the next three weeks, and Nathan's going to be sitting here twiddling his thumbs, just like, oh. Listen, I also said Pierre Gasly would be in P2 at the end of the first three races. So So don't trust anything he says. (laughs) We can't trust anything. I said Aston Martin would be fourth in the constructors this year. We're just bad at this. <laughs> I, my suggestions actually seem to be holding up pretty well. But, you know, that's yeah. just me. All I got to say is George is second right now, right? Yeah, me and Brandon's prediction that George is going to win the Drivers' Championship, and he's second place right now. Wait, who did you Shut up. Pick? Be humble. I Sit down. Hamilton. Be humble. I think yeah, I picked Hamilton. We're getting way off script. (laughs) (laughs) I apologize. This is mostly. Yeah. Is there anything else we want to cover? I mean, obviously we're going to still try to introduce new things. Um, as the year goes on, we'll have breaks and we'll try to explain elements of formula one. Let us know what you want to hear. Um, like if you watch a race and you're confused about something, send us a DM and we'll try and explain it to you in the DM, but then we'll record an episode and talk about it in the episode. Yeah. It wouldn't surprise me if a lot of these F101 episodes end up turning into Q and a, uh, yeah. we want to answer y'all's questions. If you're watching and you don't know something, let us be your ally. And let we're us clearly be your experts at this. <laughs> so obvious. I think you should listen to us. I think a big thing too, and I know it's awful if you're a formula one fan, if you're genuinely wanting to continue to learn more about this, watch the Netflix series. I know it's overscripted, and I know it kind of sucks at moments, but at the same time, especially the first two seasons, they do a very good job of explaining what Formula One is, who the drivers are. I mean, we'll do the same thing, but the Netflix series also does a very good job. It's helped us. We also, like I said, we know it's overdramatized, so take it with a grain of salt, but at the same time, we know a lot more, and it got us more interested in Formula One thanks to the Netflix series. I think all of us. We can agree. I yeah, have seen three episodes of it. I have oh, well. seen all of them. They are good. It Don't read into the drama between drivers as much, especially the drama between two drivers on the same team. A lot of that's made to look more intense, like the Verstappen-Ricardo drama in the first season. Um, in season four, you had some Lando and Ricardo drama played. They just really like beefing Ricardo with people. Yeah. Yeah. The first season to me was the best but they did yeah. have a lot of beef between Ricardo and Verstappen. Which, which is why Verstappen doesn't participate on the show. But they're having a meeting this year, actually, Liberty Media, Netflix, and the drivers to talk about how we can, how they can less over-dramatize it. But yes, it's so sorry. That doesn't matter, though. Um, if you can, and if you want to, watch the Netflix series. Um, Just start watching it'll help. races, too. Start watching races. It'll help. It's kind of exposure therapy. You may be confused for the first three or four, but then you start to catch on to little things here and there, like what a backmarker is. But we'll do a whole other F101 episode on just random terms and things like that. Yeah, and I mean, we can help out, too. If you get confused during a race, I'm sure we'll be on Instagram. You can come to my house for a watch party. Here's my address. Uh, <laughs> Dox <laughs> yourself. <laughs> Ian doxes himself in Spotify. Let's so, yeah. not do that. But yeah, it, it's much more interesting when you know what's going on and you know the drivers. Because I tried to watch it, like, a couple years before I watched... Uh, Drive to Survive, and I didn't know what was going on, so I just kind of stopped watching it. But now that I know kind of some of the behind-the-scenes stuff, it's a lot more interesting. And watch stuff on YouTube, too. There's a ton of really great content about it that'll explain it, you know, y- meme reviews and that kind of stuff that are just really funny and help get you into it, too. 
Yeah, you can fall down deep, dark rabbit holes on YouTube of Formula One content. Oh, real And quick. then you'll come out of those deep, dark rabbit holes and you'll have as much information as we because that's sort of... That's how we got ours. Then you'll start a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's a cycle. But we're glad you're listening. Um, we're s- thankful for all six of you who listened to the last one. Indeed. I just it was seven. The last one was seven. The one before that was only six. Okay, yeah, our viewership numbers increased by, hang on. One. But yeah, we'll be back next episode with a preview for Imola, the circuit. Talk about the sprint race a little bit more. And then uh, we will go ahead and record another F101 episode in the future. So if you have any questions or things that you want to hear about, DM us on Instagram. Yeah, it should come in two weeks because there's another break week in between this next race, Imola, and the Miami race. Woo! America. Thanks for listening. Bye. See y'all. So we're recording now. A wind of beans. <laughs> a wind of beans. Clip it. I have an 8 a.m., guys. A wind of beans come out the oh, that's too dang bad. Please, sir, can we record? You put the bread in the toaster. That's a no. Then you put it in your mouth. Okay, I'm going to eat some Eggo waffles. <laughs> 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 Landing the plane was a little bit rough there, I'll I'll say it. (laughs)